Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. John Locke's Second Treatise of Government, Chapter 19, Sections 234 through 243. Conclusion. Section 234. Thus far, that great advocate of monarchical power allows of resistance. Section 235. It is true, he has annexed two limitations to it, to no purpose. First, he says, it must be with reverence. Secondly, it must be without retribution or punishment. And the reason he gives is because an inferior cannot punish a superior. First, how to resist force without striking again, or how to strike with reverence, will need some skill to make intelligible. He that shall oppose an assault only with a shield to receive the blows, or in any more respectful posture, without a sword in his hand, to abate the confidence and force of the assailant, will quickly be at an end of his resistance and will find such a defense serve only to draw on himself the worse usage. This is as ridiculous a way of resisting as Juvenal thought it of fighting. Ubi tu pulsos, ego vapulo tantum, and the success of the combat will be unavoidably the same he there describes it. Libertas poperis hayek est, pulsatas rogat, et pugnis consensus adorat ut leceat paucis cum dentibus inde reverti. This will always be the event of such an imaginary resistance, where men may not strike again. He therefore who may resist must be allowed to strike, and then let our author, or anybody else, join a knock on the head or a cut on the face with as much reverence and respect as he thinks fit. He that can reconcile blows and reverence may, for aught I know, desire for his pains a civil, respectful cudgeling wherever he can meet with it. Secondly, as to his second, an inferior cannot punish a superior. That is true, generally speaking, whilst he is his superior. But to resist force with force, being the state of war that levels the parties, cancels all former relation of reverence, respect, and superiority. And then the odds that remains is that he who opposes the unjust aggressor has this superiority over him, that he has a right, when he prevails, to punish the offender, both for the breach of the peace and all the evils that followed upon it. Barclay, therefore, in another place, more coherently to himself, denies it to be lawful to resist a king in any case, but he there assigns two cases, whereby a king may unking himself. His words are, which in English runs thus. Section 237. What, then? Can there no case happen wherein the people may of right, and by their own authority, help themselves, take arms, and set upon their king, imperiously domineering over them? None at all, whilst he remains a king. Honor the king, and he that resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, are divine oracles that will never permit it. The people, therefore, can never come by a power over him unless he does something that makes him cease to be a king. For then he divests himself of his crown and dignity and returns to the state of a private man, and the people become free and superior. The power which they had in the interregnum, before they crowned him king, 
devolving to them again. But there are but few miscarriages which brings the matter to this state. After considering it well on all sides, I can find but two. Two cases there are, I say, whereby a king, ipso facto, becomes no king and loses all power and regal authority over his people, which are also taken notice of by Windsorus. The first is, if he endeavor to overturn the government, that is, if he have a purpose and design to ruin the kingdom and commonwealth, as it is recorded of Nero, that he resolved to cut off the senate and people of Rome, lay the city waste with fire and sword, and then remove to some other place. And of Caligula, that he openly declared that he would be no longer a head to the people or senate, and that he had it in his thoughts to cut off the worthiest men of both ranks, and then retire to Alexandria. And he wished that the people had but one neck, that he might dispatch them all at a blow. Such designs as these, when any king harbors in his thoughts and seriously promotes, he immediately gives up all care and thought of the commonwealth, and consequently forfeits the power of governing his subjects, as a master does the dominion over his slaves, whom he hath abandoned. Section 238. The other case is, when a king makes himself the dependent of another, and subjects his kingdom, which his ancestors left him, and the people put free into his hands, to the dominion of another. For however perhaps it may be not his intention to prejudice the people, yet because he has thereby lost the principal part of regal dignity, namely, to be next and immediately under God, supreme in his kingdom, and also because he betrayed or forced his people, whose liberty he ought to have carefully preserved, into the power and dominion of a foreign nation. By this, as it were, alienation of his kingdom, he himself loses the power he had in it before, without transferring any the least right to those on whom he would have bestowed it, and so by this act sets the people free, and leaves them at their own disposal. One example of this is to be found in the Scotch Annals. Section 239. In these cases, Barclay, the great champion of absolute monarchy, is forced to allow that a king may be resisted, and ceases to be a king. That is, in short, not to multiply cases, in whatsoever he has no authority, there he is no king, and may be resisted. For wherever the authority ceases, the king ceases too, and becomes like other men who have no authority. And these two cases he instances in differ little from those above mentioned, to be destructive to governments, only that he has omitted the principle from which his doctrine flows, and that is, the breach of trust, in not preserving the form of government agreed on, and in not intending the end of government itself, which is the public good and preservation of property. When a king has dethroned himself, and put himself in a state of war with his people, what shall hinder them from prosecuting him who is no king, as they would any other man, who has put himself into a state of war with them? Barclay, and those of his opinion, would do well to tell us. This farther, I desire, may be taken notice of, out of Barclay, that he says, The mischief that is designed them, the people may prevent before it be done, whereby he allows resistance when tyranny is but in design. Such designs as these, says he, when any king harbors in his thoughts and seriously promotes, he immediately gives up all care and thought of the commonwealth, so that, according to him, the neglect of the public good is to be taken as an evidence of such design, 
or at least for a sufficient cause of resistance. And the reason of all he gives in these words, because he betrayed or forced his people, whose liberty he ought carefully to have preserved. What he adds into the power and dominion of a foreign nation signifies nothing, the fault and forfeiture lying in the loss of their liberty, which he ought to have preserved, and not in any distinction of the persons to whose dominion they were subjected. The people's right is equally invaded and their liberty lost, whether they are made slaves to any of their own or a foreign nation. And in this lies the injury, and against this only have they the right of defense. And there are instances to be found in all countries which show that it is not the change of nations in the persons of their governors, but the change of government that gives the offense. Bilson, a bishop of our church, and a great stickler for the power and prerogative of princes, does, if I mistake not, in his treatise of Christian subjection, acknowledge that princes may forfeit their power and their title to the obedience of their subjects. And if there needed authority in a case where reason is so plain, I could send my reader to Bracton, Fortescue, and the author of The Mirror, and other writers who cannot be suspected to be ignorant of our government or enemies to it. But I thought Hooker alone might be enough to satisfy those men who, relying on him for their ecclesiastical polity, are by a strange fate carried to deny those principles upon which he builds it. Whether they are herein made the tools of cunninger workmen to pull down their own fabric, they were best look. This I am sure. Their civil policy is so new, so dangerous, and so destructive to both rulers and people, that as former ages never could bear the broaching of it. So it may be hoped those to come, redeemed from the impositions of these Egyptian under-taskmasters, will abhor the memory of such servile flatterers, who, whilst it seemed to serve their turn, resolved all government into absolute tyranny, and would have all men born to what their mean souls fitted them for, slavery. Section 240. Here, it is like, the common question will be made. Who shall be judge, whether the prince or legislative act contrary to their trust? This, perhaps, ill-affected and factious men may spread amongst the people, when the prince only makes use of his due prerogative. To this I reply, the people shall be judge. For who shall be judge, whether his trustee or deputy acts well, and according to the trust reposed in him, but he who deputes him? and must, by having deputed him, have still a power to discard him when he fails in his trust? If this be reasonable in particular cases of private men, why should it be otherwise in that of the greatest moment, where the welfare of millions is concerned, and also where the evil, if not prevented, is greater, and the redress very difficult, dear, and dangerous? Section 241. But farther, this question who shall be judge, cannot mean that there is no judge at all. For where there is no judicature on earth to decide controversies amongst men, God in heaven is judge. He alone, it is true, is judge of the right. But every man is judge for himself, as in all other cases, so in this, whether another hath put himself into a state of war with him, and whether he should appeal to the supreme judge, as Jephthah did. Section 242. If a controversy arise betwixt a prince and some of the people, in a matter where the law is silent or doubtful, and the thing be of great consequence, 
I should think the proper umpire in such a case should be the body of the people. For in cases where the prince hath a trust reposed in him, and is dispensed from the common ordinary rules of the law, there, if any men find themselves aggrieved, and think the prince acts contrary to, or beyond that trust, who so proper to judge as the body of the people, who, at first, lodged that trust in him, how far they meant it should extend? But if the prince, or whoever they be in the administration, decline that way of determination, the appeal then lies nowhere but to heaven. Force between either persons, who have no known superior on earth, or which permits no appeal to a judge on earth, being properly a state of war, wherein the appeal lies only to heaven. And in that state the injured party must judge for himself, when he will think fit to make use of that appeal and put himself upon it. Section 243. To conclude, the power that every individual gave the society when he entered into it can never revert to the individuals again as long as the society lasts, but will always remain in the community. Because without this, there can be no community, no commonwealth, which is contrary to the original agreement. So also, when the society hath placed the legislative in any assembly of men to continue in them and their successors, with direction and authority for providing such successors, the legislative can never revert to the people whilst that government lasts. Because, having provided a legislative with power to continue forever, they have given up their political power to the legislative, and cannot resume it. But if they have set limits to the duration of their legislative, and made this supreme power in any person or assembly only temporary, or else, when by the miscarriages of those in authority it is forfeited, upon the forfeiture, or at the determination of the time set, it reverts to the society, and the people have a right to act as supreme, and continue the legislative in themselves, or erect a new form, or under the old form place it in new hands, as they think good. Finis. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>